RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Episode 7, Memo from Bob Justman, Star Trek The Next Generation Pilot Premise, November 9th, 1986. Support for The Trek Files comes from our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships Collection. Get the first Starship in the collection, Star Trek The Next Generation's Enterprise D, for only $4.95 with free shipping when you sign up now at st-starships.com slash thetrekfiles. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Hey, deep divers and trekophiles, and I say that with an F. Welcome again to another edition of The Trek Files, where we are diving into Gene Roddenberry's archives, uh, deep diving as it turns out. And we've got a real gem today. When I was writing the Star Trek Next Generation Companion, one of the things that uh, saved my butt, because I had to do it in three months, was getting to meet Bob Justman, uh, storied associate producer, way undercredited on the original series, but for his role on launching The Next Generation. He was gracious enough back then to share 20 or 30 of his original memos. And this is actually, some of those have come to light, this is actually, today's document is a memo from Bob to Gene, and granted, this is in the blue sky, what if, very early days of what ifing, what the next generation would turn into. Before the characters, before, they're talking the broad strokes of the premise. So keep that in mind as you hear this episode's document. Picard, as commander of the Enterprise, will have to make a decision whether at a prearranged rendezvous with another starship, to finally commit himself and his crew to this attempt to maintain a normal life in space aboard ship for what could be a lifetime, or to abort the experiment and to transport the families of the crew members onto the other ship for their return to Earth. During this first episode, all sorts of conflicts arise which have to do with men and women, love, hate, marriage, divorce, friendship, antagonism, adultery, social and professional competition. In other words, all the elements of human drama to which mankind has been subject since the dawn of time. We'll be right back after a short word from our sponsor. Star Trek fans, your ships have come in. The official Star Trek Starships collection from Eagle Moss is the ultimate collection of the most significant vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each ship is cast in a specially formulated metallic resin and hand-painted with reference to actual production models. Each also comes with a display base and collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. Start your collection today with the USS Enterprise 1701D for only $4.95 with free shipping. New models ship twice monthly and you may cancel your subscription at any time. For details on the entire collection and to order, visit st-starships.com slash thetrackfiles. Make it so at st-starships.com slash thetrackfiles. Wow. 
Now, that puts a different uh, spin on what Next Generation could have been, at least out of the gate. But again, this is from November 9th, 1986. The uh, the gang was barely back together to talk about this and to talk about this memo and what did become the early days of Next Generation. Again, I'm so thrilled to have back with us someone from the gang getting back together. Dorothy Fontana, who, as you know, had been uh, story editor on the original series, associate producer and story editor on the uh, animated series, and for Next Generation was part of that gang reassembled to uh, especially to write the pilot script. Dorothy, thank you again for joining with us here for another era of Star Trek history and another interesting document, although this was very early day blue sky, right? It certainly was. <laughs> uh, Gene Roddenberry and uh, Majel Barrett Roddenberry had invited me to dinner in October and said, we're thinking of getting a new Star Trek together. Would you like to be involved? And I said, yes, I would. So he told me or he showed me what he had at the time, which was the new version, new, new captain, new crew, et cetera, even having children on board, et cetera, um, and ultimately asked me, do you want to write the pilot, which I did do. Uh, it was called Encounter at Farpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it was the mystery of what is going on at Farpoint in addition to getting our new crew together and then on the ship. Uh, we had Captain Picard coming in with the Enterprise and uh, his new crew was going to be waiting for him, but they didn't know each other, so they had to begin to meet up and, right. and see who they were and what experience they had, plus this ongoing mystery of what is really going on at Farpoint. That was what I was involved in. Right, and because, as, as hopefully historians know now, all our truckophiles out there know, that uh, there was this ongoing debate about whether it would be a 60-minute slot or a 90-minute or a two-hour, and they were wrangling back and forth, and you sat down to do a 60-minute? No, oh, actually, I did a 90-minute. A 90-minute, okay. Yeah. The extra 30 minutes became Gene throwing in the Q subplot, which became a whole great character for John Delancey, but that wasn't part of your original... That was not my writing, no. Right, that was not your premise. But writing a pilot for any show, especially with all the uh, the attention and the spotlight that a Star Trek... I mean, did you feel that kind of pressure, or were you just thrilled to be back, or what was... What was the mood going on then? Well, it was really nice uh, to be able to do a series again as opposed to uh, the movies, Mm -hmm. uh, which have their limitations, obviously. With a a series, you can run a story for 13 episodes if you like. You know, there's a subplot, a relationship, uh, a problem, uh, et cetera. And uh, for me, series writing is always interesting. especially the kind of stories that are being told now where you have a lot of ongoing stories. But uh, this was a challenge. Uh, I had not written a pilot before. And um, so I wanted to come up with the best, most interesting thing I could. And to me, it was what is going on on this planet that we're all meeting on and how are we being sucked into this? (laughs) So Gene, by this time, and and we have some of the documents from that time also, Gene and basically it was David, right? Was pretty much nobody else in the circle. That's pretty much it. Right. Uh, We're hashing out characters and yes. some basic con- and what would be different eighty years later. Were you? Um, I, I want to get back to this this uh, premise that Bob just and Bob was spitting out all. Well, Bob was in that circle too, yes. and he was doing much more than just he was spitting all kinds of concept and yes. character memos out. Um, 
was this idea – basically, he's calling for the mission of the Enterprise D, as it was eventually labeled, mm-hmm. um, to be this great pivotal moment, this great experiment in Starfleet history. And would they continue with the, the families aboard and this lifelong mission versus the five-year mission of Kirk with ma- mainly single people? Um, but that was this was like a blue sky that was thrown out and maybe didn't last twenty four hours. Maybe right by the time Just you were about yeah uh, we we talked about the story that is what is the mystery of Star of uh, uh, Farpoint and what is going on as we bring all these crew members together. Um, that was the story, and uh, right. David was on staff and uh, writing a lot of background and uh, laying in uh, character points, etc. Uh, but he was not asked to write the pilot. I was right, right. But as far as the what ifs going out to try to shape the show, this was not a even a subtext. Obviously. Not really, not really, uh, not not brought up even by your time. But it's still it's fun to look at because the issue of the family. I mean, what were your reactions as they explained the first like the character layout? Because you're coming at it very instrumental in developing the Spock character and just being and McCoy. I should say thank you for Friday's child. I've never got to say that face to face, but. Being very immersed in the original series, Kenneth, what were your? Did you have mixed? Did you? Do you have mixed feelings about heading into a new a new cat? Was it like inevitable and a reality, and and, and you excited or or? I was excited to get a new version of Star Trek, but but with its feet in the old Star Trek. In other words, telling stories, human stories, people could uh, relate to, even in a science fiction context. Uh, and of course, we were able to get away with stories sometimes that other people couldn't under the guise of science fiction. Right. We certainly did it in the first series. We did it in the animated series, and we intended to do it in this one. It was nice to uh, consider the idea of having families aboard if necessary. In other words, the doctor would not have to go off and leave her young son behind uh, on a five-year mission. <laughs> right. Uh, she could take him with her, and that was a nice concept, I thought. Uh, others were, you know, they fit in. Let's look, uh, looking back at Farpoint now, and aside from the, the Q arc that, that Gene had to put in, um, is there anything looking at that episode that you take pride in maybe that you helped develop, even though you weren't in the, the developing circle? But having to write the pilot, there were obviously things that, you, that had to be fleshed out that hadn't been thought of before, right? Do you remember any little issues with the concept or the characters, either one? No, I liked what we were doing, but it was proposed. Um, I thought it's Star Trek, but it's a little different Star Trek. The, the captain is not quite the same. Uh, the doctor is not the same. Um, it, it just uh, gave us a slightly different slant on our old show. Uh, but we still had the ability to tell those great stories, which I loved, that challenge, that being able to do that. And for me, it was uh, a really good time to be, to be writing this particular piece Right. Well, now this Bob's memo and one of the major concepts. Were you concerned about having a show set eighty years in the future that could dis- that could still be Star Trek but distinguish itself? I mean, did you have any trepidations about projecting eighty years in the future for the background of the science, or how will the people be different, or how will they be exactly the same? Or uh, no, I think people are people, and we chose some interesting ones to follow. Um, I like the fact that. Uh, we could, again, we could tell all kinds of stories under the guise of science fiction, and that challenge was always there for, for us every time. Um, but the, the main challenge first was getting down what amounted to me for, uh, to a 90-page script 
because we, they, I kept, they kept going back and forth an hour, 90 minutes, two hours. They finally just settled on, make it 90 minutes. <laughs> so, okay, I'll write it. Were you there when the when Wesley character was going back and forth between Wesley and Leslie, whether it would be a boy or a girl, or had that been settled? By that had been pretty much settled. Okay, yeah. okay, because I know it, the the whole Crusher family line began with Wesley slash Leslie, and because was wasn't there an impetus in the beginning to finding the way to do things the same but differently to maybe break those roles again the Kirk functions. They got the the uh, elder captain and gave some of the rambunctious youth to Riker, the first officer, right? Right. right. And Data has a little bit of has a little bit of the Spock function, but but so trying to find they were intentionally at first kind of not having a chief engineer and not having trying to get away from the role breakdowns right. of the original right. series, right? And yes. no, and the dictum about no Klingons, Romulans, Vulcans, except oh now we've got a Klingon to show that we, there's a that's a difference in eighty years, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Those were all pretty much settled, but now. You know, Michael Dorn and Worf very quickly looked so good on film that he got elevated, right? Yes. For, uh, you remember that? Um, that was under your tenure, right? Or, yes, I'm or, pretty sure it was. Yes. Yeah, pretty yes. much. So I don't know what. What are you looking back at Farpoint? What are you proudest of? Especially for what became of the series. What? What? You know, building blocks. I think we established a, a really interesting captain who was not Captain Kirk. He was. He had his own uh, way of doing things, his own way of thinking and uh, attacking problems. Uh, we had a different kind of first officer, uh, a different kind of doctor, but they were all human beings we could relate to ultimately. We could understand these people. Uh, Data was, was fun to develop. Um, he, uh, Brent Spiner is such an unusual actor. I didn't know he could sing opera. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing Man from La Mancha uh, mm-hmm. on stage here locally not too long ago. Um, and... Um, Working with that kind of ability is always great because you can tell them, ask them to do anything, and they'll come through for you. Uh, I had to say, although I love Patrick Stewart, uh, I was uh, calling for another actor to mm-hmm. play Captain Picard. Uh, I was outvoted. Bob Jessman kept coming in every day and saying, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart, Patrick Stewart. Right, right. <laughs> and I do love Patrick. Um, but uh, I, I had been pushing for Stephen Mocked, who was a younger man, but not that much younger. Um, I think Stephen was about in his uh, late 40s then. Right. And uh, I had met him at uh, Stratford in Canada when he was doing uh, some wonderful Shakespeare and other uh, plays up there. And that was in something like 1976. So I had known him for a long time. (laughs) He thought he can be French as well as this English guy. Uh, no, we just (laughs) we just uh, wanted a you know not a Captain Kirk, but uh, uh, with other abilities and physicality and uh, I got outvoted so right. it was too bad but right. uh, but I do I do indeed love Patrick Stewart he's such a fine actor he's wonderful and oh, sure. I appreciate his ability <laughs> oh sure well but it's it's since I mean a lot, all these roles the the number twos have been but I say infamous but they all most everyone in the casting process who was a finalist wound up being used in guest roles and yes and such all down the line okay before I let you go I you didn't stay with the series very long uh, there was a lot of turmoil and chaos going on, but you were there to do the Naked Now. Yes, right. Yes. So, where did the since since so much of the 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 show thrust had been not repeating original series ideas and concepts? Why why the Naked Now as an homage to the Naked Time? It just just the format that it was for introducing characters. 
Yes, and uh, I just enjoyed doing it. I had known John D.F. Black since the very beginning, of course, of Star Trek, and we were still friends, he and his wife Mary, who had been his secretary and was then his wife and still is. Uh, and, um, and who wrote The Naked Time? He wrote The Naked Time. And so I thought, well, let's bounce this idea off again and see what we can do to make it different and relevant to this ship and these characters, which is what I did. Right. And no one in the production said, oh, no, we're trying to get away from original series. I mean, no. at the time, everybody agreed with you. I yes, guess, basically. yes, absolutely. Was it really chaotic getting getting the process down for, on the new show uh, the time you were there as far as uh, the script floor? Or did it start off pretty much like the way the original series had been? At the TV standard of the way writers pitched and had story room and broke and for that era. Well, we had individual writers coming in and if they did well on the show, then they got another uh, episode assigned, obviously. Um, it, but it was chaotic. Uh, there were things going on that were really kind of crazy. Um, Jean apparently suffered several small strokes. We didn't know it at the time, but there was one time I was in a meeting with uh, uh, Herb Wright and um, I think David Gerald was in the room as well and Bob Justman and... Uh, Lou Morheim, I believe, and um, or maybe that's wrong, but uh, I know Herb Wright was there. Yes, Lou Morheim was in. Now, and who's Lou Morheim? He was one of the producers. Oh, okay. And um, Gene stood up and whirled around and smashed into a wall. And we all just said, we didn't see that. <sighs> you know, yeah. we, were, we were embarrassed. But it was an indication that something physically was going on with Gene. And it it came out in other ways. It came out emotionally and mentally from him. And uh, a lot of us had a hard time. And that, that was why I left after the first 13 episodes. I, I just couldn't take it anymore. I didn't want to be there. Right. Even before <laughs> Leonard Maislish and all of that. That's, that's, well, Leonard Maislish was in there. so <laughs> Right, in that mix. One more thing I want to ask you, and it's one of the great things. Do you remember of all those characters that we've been talking about and great actresses and actors, um, infamously poor – Poor Deanna Troy started off as the mm-hmm. full, you know, the pain, I feel pain from the pilot that was pulled back. And then they, she wound up uh, not being in four episodes the first season mm-hmm. and almost written out of the show, not so much because of Marina, but wondering what do you do with a telepath? I mean, do you remember mm-hmm. at the time that instance writing the pilot in the first episode or any of the other characters wondering the way this is sketched out early? There's going to be – now that I'm into the trenches with them – this may be an issue or this may be a problem. I don't know how we're going to deal with this. Do you remember having an issue with Troy or, or anything? Not else? really. Uh, I thought that people we were dealing with were all very competent people. Uh, they listened to suggestions uh, and, and they answered questions. One of the things I always like to do is after we've had several, say, half a dozen episodes, is go talk to the actor and say, okay, you've been living in this skin for a while. What do you know about the character now that right. you didn't know when you started? Because that helped us write stories for them. Sure. And... Uh, she was so good. She was just really yeah. nice. They all were and um, all had some interesting thoughts on their characters. Uh, and again, we tried to put these things in. Sometimes it didn't get in because of Roddenberry uh, rewriting, which he rewrote practically everything. Um, but uh, we tried. Yeah. We tried. And working with a really good set of actors who were trying to give their do their characters well, right. you know, that's always a wonderful experience. Well, I didn't. I didn't necessarily mean anything about Marina. I meant the way the character was sketched, because famously coming out of the pilot, I think people saw that, or they saw that the 
the extreme telepath sensing wasn't going to work, and they were going to have to round out the round out the character with other like the counselor functions and the, and the first contact, you know, adversary yes. sense. Function. Yes, we had we had to expand that uh, somewhat to uh, because if she was such an extreme telepath, she'd know what everybody was thinking all the time, and you couldn't fool her any in any way, shape, right. or form. Uh, so we we had to do some modifi- modification on that, and uh, it, it did hurt the character, I think. Right. Well, until she, they found the groove yes. for that one. Right. Uh, Dorothy, listen, this has been so great looking at the, at the, the premise that never happened here. <laughs> um, but just talking about those early days of Next Generation, what that was like. So thank you again for joining us. Today. Thank you. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All documents are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcasts.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47, that's me, at larrynimacek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.